today's scripture reader from, uh, is, comes from Psalm 19, and uh, it's printed in your bulletin. <clears throat> Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. You know, during the course of the year, um, the elders and I were, were talking a little bit, and this year we want to make sure we hit on a couple fundamental topics in, with respect to living the Christian life, with respect to spiritual disciplines. And, uh, you know, because Bible study is starting this week, I, I, I want to hit on this discipline of uh, reading the Word and studying the Word, but uh, actually we're, the, the elders are going to have an opportunity to, to preach as well, so... Uh, we're going to go over a couple of uh, things that we consider fundamental to the Christian life, things like uh, worship and things like prayer, things like friendship and community. Now, fundamentals, if you ever play a sport or if you ever played an instrument, I'm sure you know that fundamentals are, are very important in order to do those things well. So, for example, you know, I used to play the violin, uh, and when I played the violin, my mistake was I always moved my arm. And you're not supposed to move your arm when you play the violin. You're only supposed to move this half of the arm. So the way they would force me to practice, I would have to stand against the wall, right, with my arm against the wall and, and just play like this. It was the most uh, incredibly uncomfortable thing in the world, but that was a way to kind of build up my fundamentals. And I don't play golf. Maybe some of you play golf. Uh, there's a period of time I tried to get into golf because I was like, I need a hobby, and so let me try golf. And so my friend is like really into golf, and he said, let me teach you how to, how to do a swing. And uh, the way he taught me how to play golf was, again, the most unfun thing ever because he would make me hit like 100 balls like this, right? And I'm like, I just want to do a full swing. I just want to see how far I can hit. But he would say, no, you got to do 100 swings like this, and then half, half, right? And I never did the full because I got so sick of it that I only right, stayed with half. But anyway, fundamentals uh, are so important in order to do things well, and it's kind of the, the foundation in which we, we build uh, a lot of things that we do. And, you know, sometimes uh, it, maybe it's fun for us, but uh, maybe oftentimes we, uh, we kind of just don't want to work on them because uh, we see them as maybe a little bit ordinary or a little bit routine or a little bit mundane. But they're so important because if you don't get the fundamentals right, then everything, I guess, on top of it is going to be a little bit distorted. I, I think the analogy holds true when it comes to living the Christian life and the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian and forming our 
Christian practice. And I think the habits that we form, it, it goes a long way into the formation of our hearts, in terms of the formation of the desire of our hearts. So if you want to know whether you're being faithful in your life to God, I think one of the questions that you can ask is, what kind of habits do I have? Right? What kind of practices do I do over the long haul? And are these practices shaping my heart and shaping myself to live a life that is pleasing to God? Or are my habits something that uh, contradicts or takes me away from living a life that is pleasing to God? Now, I know I, I read this quote this week on uh, uh, somewhere. I don't remember where I read it, but they said this. They said, the Christian life, it's not a quick fix, but the Christian life is a discipline. And because I was preaching the sermon, I, I thought, you know, it kind of stuck out to me. And I thought that was a very interesting way to put it because for many of us, maybe we came to the Christian life because we uh, had this crisis of some sort and we, we came to God, we were desperate, and we wanted God to fix our problem and, and say, God, help me, help me. And maybe he fixed it, maybe he didn't. But either way, the reality is that Christianity is more than just about God fixing our problem in the moment but it offers something deeper, something more formative, something that touches the deepest recess of our soul. And therefore, the only way, I think, to experience the depth of life that is offered to us in Christ and to relate to God in a way that is deeper than just simply somebody who solves our problems, I think, is to really engage in spiritual disciplines, build good habits, good fundamentals. Because you see, God's not like a plumber. Uh, when you call on him when the pipes freeze, which right, happened to me this past winter. Plumber might be a nice person, but guess what? There's no depth to that kind of relationship, right? He's more like this, maybe, uh, if I could put it this way, he's more than this, of course, but he's also like this intimate friend that you, you have this relationship with and you put forth the time to cultivate that relationship. And over time, av- av- after you cultivate that kind of discipline, you begin to have this deeper, more intimate more life-transforming kind of relationship with him. Now, the, way I, the, the reason why I think discipline is maybe a good word to use when it comes to spiritual habits is because, uh, let's be honest, it's not easy to do them all the time. Uh, it takes discipline to do them uh, and to form habits because the world that we embody, it's uh, not just the world, but the city that we embody is very busy, right? Very noisy, and there are th- so many things that's going to be competing for our attention, for our energy, for our time. And most of those things are not going to be bad things either. Most of those things are going to be good things and worthwhile things. Our work, our leisure, our friends, our families, these are things that are going to inhabit our time, our energy, our lives. And for the most part, these are all good things. But you see, we are supposed to embody these fears so we we can serve people in them rather than allow these fears to kind of be our masters and to dominate and to shape us and to form our habits. And the only way I think we can do that faithfully is when first we are connected to Christ, when Christ is the one who shapes our desires and shapes our habits so that we can inhabit these spheres and serve the ones that we are supposed to serve. Now, uh, as we cover these disciplines, uh, I am going to actually uh, try to be pretty simple. So this is not meant to be a profound, uh, insightful kind of message or kind of series. I also want to try to be very practical, like steps that you can take, things that you can do to try to incorporate some of these disciplines into your walk. Uh, And, you know, if you've been a believer for a long time, uh, I I will say, like, nothing here is going to sound new to you, but uh, here's what I hope. 
I hope by the end of this message, you'll at least be a little bit challenged, uh, especially if you've been away from uh, being in the Word, from studying the Word, from reading the Word, that you'll be at least a little bit challenged to consider, you know, I've been away from it too long. Uh, Let me get back to it. Now, uh, today we're going to talk about the Bible, Uh, not specifically the the Bible Bible, but we're going to learn about, I guess I would say our relationship to the Bible, okay? Uh, Not what the Bible is, but uh, how we relate to it. And I think part of the reason uh, I want to do this is, again, we have weekly Bible studies, right? And I do do hope that many people come. I know evenings are a, uh, here's, right, here's practical application number one, make time for Bible study. You know, I know evenings for uh, many of us are precious, and for some, you know, it's, it's hard to give up an evening and, uh, you know, devote an entire evening for a Bible study uh, when we have so many other uh, responsibilities. But I want you to consider making that sacrifice and uh, putting forth the effort to, to try to come together in community and to dedicate that time to study and to read the Word. And I think in our church, I would say uh, many of you probably know that the Bible is important, right? Many of you probably know that. I would say some of you uh, know your Bible actually pretty well uh, because I've been in small groups and Bible studies with some of you. But I also know this, that even though I think some of you know your Bible pretty well, I hear this a lot when it comes to uh, just interacting with non-Christians. And uh, some of you say, I don't feel like I know enough of the Bible uh, to really talk about Christianity with my coworkers or to really talk about Christianity with, like, my non-believing friends. And uh, there's this maybe lack of confidence that uh, some of you may have. You know, if our lack of knowing the Bible is hurting our evangelism and it's hurting uh, mission, I think that's all the more reason why we really have to devote ourselves to knowing what the Bible says and knowing uh, what the Word says. So let me be uh, uh, keep try to keep this message simple and... Uh, suggest a few practical things in the end, but we're going to look at Psalm 19, and it's really packed with a lot of important things, and one of the reasons I chose this is because of how it ends, and we sang the song actually in worship that about how the psalm ends, and says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, and it's reinforcing what I was saying earlier about our habits and forming habits that are pleasing to God. We want the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart to be something that is acceptable to God, something that is pleasing to God. And this psalm shows us how we get there through his word. And the first six verses, I think one of the things that you notice is that uh, the beauty of God is not revealed through words, but it's actually revealed through creation. In theology, this is called general revelation, okay? Now look at the verbs associated with the subjects. It says this, the heavens declare, the sky proclaims, The day pours out speech. The night reveals knowledge. And you see, what these verses are are showing us and telling us is that even before the written word, God is revealing himself. God is revealing his beauty, his glory, and his majesty through all of creation, that all of creation is actually declaring and singing these things. Now, in New York City, we don't often get to notice nature because just walk out on the street, everything that we see is pretty much man-made, right? Uh, It's only maybe when we leave New York and we go and we see the Grand Canyon or we go and see the Northern Lights or something that wasn't created by man but something that was created only by God. And uh, we we see that and it kind of leaves you in this experience of awe, right? For some of us maybe. Now, why do we have that experience? I think it's because uh, we're experiencing beauty and art 
It's artwork. It's God's artwork. It's God's handiwork. You know, many of you know I like to watch documentaries, and there was a one a while ago, Planet Earth, and you just watch Planet Earth, and it gives you access to things in the world that maybe you can't visit, but you can see on screen. And the world is really beautiful. God created a really, really beautiful world. Nature is really beautiful. And uh, these are things that tell us something about who God is, something about his character, something about his nature. And I think it's so powerful. I, I heard this atheist actually say a while back, somebody who doesn't believe in God, but he said, you know, the moments where uh, I might doubt my own atheism is uh, actually when I'm in the presence of something beautiful in creation. Uh, those are the moments where he would say, you know, that makes me think maybe there is a God. Uh, those are the moments where he says, hmm, maybe there is something greater out there. And I think that comment is very uh, illuminating in the sense of the power of beauty, even the power of the beauty of creation. Psalm t- 19 tells us why, uh, maybe a, if you're a believer, why a Christian might feel compelled to worship God when you see something so beautiful in creation and why an atheist might even doubt his own atheism because it reveals the glory of God. But you know, it wasn't enough for God to reveal himself through creation, okay? He had to give us a word, a written word. Why? You know, in communication, there's, we, we often communicate with nonverbal, in nonverbal ways, right? Um, you know, my wife and I, we, we celebrated our eight-year anniversary, um, and the one thing that sticks out is my wife used to think I was pretty funny, but after eight years of marriage, she, she don't laugh at any of my jokes anymore. Uh, what she does when I uh, give a corny joke, she just rolls her eyes, right? <laughs> That's a nonverbal clue, isn't it? <laughs> Saying, stop, just please stop. That's not funny. You know, when I preach, uh, I can see all your faces. When people yawn, <laughs> that's a nonverbal clue, right? It's like, oh, this is a little boring. Hurry up. You know, we, nonverbal cues are, are pretty important, and it's part of communication. But you know what? It's not, it's not enough to communicate everything through nonverbal cues. Nonverbal cues can't tell you, you know, what time is the meeting? What time should I be there? Nonverbal cues, it, it may tell me that you're upset about something, but it probably won't tell me why you're upset. And for that, what do we need? We need words, of course. We need words. And, you know, in a similar fashion, creation tells us a lot of important things about the reality of God, about the beauty of God, about the majesty of God. But it doesn't tell us about sin and how it displeases God. It doesn't tell us what sin is. It doesn't tell us how God would bring salvation to the world through his son. It doesn't tell us how to live a life that is pleasing to God. And therefore, what we need and what God gives us is a written word. Now, for the Old Testament people, for the people of Israel, that came in the form of law, Torah. For us, it comes through both the Old and the New Testaments uh, in the Bible, and God gives us Scripture. And so this leads, I think, to the second part of the psalm, starting in verse 7. You know, the Hebrew poetry, this is Hebrew poetry, and I think you can kind of pick up the pattern here even as you read it in the English. But it's describing an aspect of a word, and then it tells us what the word does. So each of these things, of course, I think are worth reflecting on. But I'm going to try to be brief uh, just to leave enough time for some practical things. But the main thing I want you to notice here is uh, 
what the word does to us. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. Now, who of us wouldn't want these things to happen to us? Who of us doesn't want revival of our soul? If you do, turn to the Word of God. It's a good start. Who of us wouldn't want wisdom? If you do, turn to this sure testimony of the Lord. Who doesn't want joy in their hearts? If you do, turn to the right precepts of the Lord. Who doesn't want enlightenment so that they can see clearly? Turn to the pure commandment of the Lord. That's what this psalm is saying, that the word is actually something that does something to us. Now, 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is God-breathed, is breathed out, that it is the very breath of God, and it is the primary way through which God will speak to us and reveal himself to us in this age. It's the primary means through which we know what his divine will for our lives is. And therefore, if we want to know God, and if we want to know his will, if we want to know what he wants, you know, it, it's not meant to be like a secret or something that's like far off. He gives it to us, right? He gives it to us in his word, in the Bible. And in order to know that, you know what that requires? We've got to read it. We've got to study it to know its proper meaning. We've got to meditate upon it so that the meaning of the text goes into our heart and changes our heart. You see, according to this psalm, the word, it's, it's something to be desired more than gold. More than gold. Fine gold. And therefore, before we ask this question, do I know the word? Here's a more important question for us. Do I desire the word? Do I desire it? Because I think if the desire is in our hearts, the knowledge comes. But the desire has to be there. You know, I do really believe God's grace can produce that kind of desire uh, in all of our hearts. And uh, part of it's personal testimony. I don't know if I've ever shared this uh, in, from the pulpit, but uh, when I was in high school, I wasn't a great student. Uh, I hated to read. Um, you know, my, my, I would be like the kid who would not read the book in English class, but I would read the cliff notes, and uh, that's how I would get by uh, in high school. I hated to read, right? You know, after I became a believer, God really, I think, supernaturally gave me this, like, deep desire to, this insatiable hunger to read his word. And, and I can't explain it. And I can't even say it's because of me. I think God put it in my heart. I was just so captured by God and who God was that I just really wanted to know as much as I could about him. And so I would just spend hours reading the Bible. Right? This is, I'm a senior in high school, and I'm just, like, kind of reading the Bible, even in college. You know, funny story, uh, I, didn't, I used to hide this from, like, my friends, but when I was in college, I would go to the library, and I would take my Bible, and the library had Bible commentaries, and I would get a Bible commentary, and I would just read through the Bible commentary. And the reason I hid this is because I didn't want to seem like a nerd. <laughs> but uh, I can't explain how uh, I became like that, except to say that God gave this desire in my heart to know him and to know his word. Now, I understand that is probably not going to be the typical uh, experience of a college student, and I'm sure for, uh, at least in my case, God probably captured my heart in such a way because uh, to prepare me for this call of uh, being a pastor and so forth. But I, I will also say I've heard this kind of testimony from many, many people. 
you know, I just met with this pastor uh, who uh, pastors a church, great church, great ministry in Brooklyn, and he was telling me about a little bit about his life. You know, he's a Puerto Rican pastor, and he grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, a uh, very poor neighborhood, and he was saying, um, you know, because he grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, uh, he just spoke Spanish all the time, and he was never forced to learn English, and uh, therefore, uh, you know, it hurt him academically. He had no desire for uh, school. He didn't finish high school. Uh, he would also say, you know, there was, he was uh, addicted to drugs during a period of his life. And so this is, this is his life. And then after he came, after Christ came into his life, his, his life changed in such, uh, I would just say, a supernatural way. And one of the main changes in his life is that he had this insatiable desire to, to read the word and to understand it. And so he would, and again, he, doesn't have, he didn't have a college degree. He didn't, I mean, a high school degree. He didn't graduate. He, wasn't, he didn't finish his education. And yet God gave him this desire so much so that it really transformed not only his heart, but it transformed his mind. His mind. And he started reading, studying. He started reading all these Christian books. He is, right, he's one of the great preachers that I've heard in a while now. And he, he really knows the word. You see, knowing the word, uh, I, I don't think it's about whether you're educated or not. Uh, I don't think it's about how you grew up. I really do think loving the word is really about God's grace upon us and being so captured by who he is and what he has done that we just want to know him deeply. And here's what I, I hope. I hope some of us have felt that. I hope some of us will feel that in the future. I hope some of us will feel that actually in the present, maybe today, when you go home. Read your Bible. Because when that happens, you know, that's, that's when being a pastor becomes really fun. Uh, because we, we get to, right, people who love the Word get to gather together and just study it and read it and, like, bounce ideas of what this could mean and applications and say, and just marvel at the beauty of the Word and say, oh, this is amazing. God is amazing. I think that's really when uh, life becomes really fun. You know, I understand that many of us, um, you know, it's a challenge, right? And, and I felt it too. Many of us may not feel like studying the Bible or reading the Bible because we're just so busy and we're just so tired. Maybe uh, you feel like when you read the Bible or when you go to a Bible study, it's, uh, it's just really dry and you, you just don't feel like you're getting that much out of it. Maybe your expectation when you go in is, uh, I'm going to feel really connected to God, and when that happens, you're a little bit disappointed, right? Well, let me just say this, if that's your experience. I think in all human relationships, you don't always feel super connected to another person through every conversation, right? That, that kind of happens sporadically. Uh, hopefully it happens at some point, but it doesn't happen every time. But still, those... Uh, you know, conversations that are very ordinary and very mundane, over time, uh, you begin to realize how much you get to know a person, uh, not just through those like, wow, aha moments, but even through those ordinary moments where you're just kind of having regular talk and regular conversation. I think sometimes maybe reading the Bible, maybe it'll feel like that. It's just so ordinary. Oh, it's morning or it's evening, whenever you uh, decide to read the Bible. Okay, that was interesting to learn. Uh, I don't really feel changed. I don't feel like I'm really getting that much out of it. Uh, it's not an aha moment. I want to say that's okay because over time, you do that over a lifetime. I do think those moments too 
will have a formative effect upon our hearts and shaping our hearts, right? So don't go into it saying, I got to get something good out of it. I got to have an aha moment because many times that may not happen. You got to persevere in it too. And you got to think about the long haul. And sometimes it might feel like drudgery. But I think over time, God is going to form us and to shape our hearts as we spend more time in the word. I think that's what's going to lead to revival of the soul, to wisdom, to joy, and the opening of our eyes. Now let me end here and say uh, just a couple practical things. You know, so what can we do? A couple practical things we can do. I think the easiest thing to do is actually just to come to Bible study, right? (laughs) Not to plug it too much, but just come to Bible study, you know, an hour and a half, boom, you get a lot out of it. Anyway, uh, but I understand some people can't make it, right? And uh, that's fine too. My wife, uh, she she actually started reading a Bible plan and, uh, you know, she, some of you may have seen this uh, a couple of years ago, Fred led something like this where we would read the Bible in a year. Uh, if you read about four chapters a day, you can actually get through the whole Bible in a year. So she does this Bible plan, and what she does is she writes like notes as she's reading it, and she says that helps her engage in what she is reading. Uh, she's somebody who can't go to Bible study because um, if she goes, I can't go, <laughs> but I have to lead it. So she just can't go. So that's, that's what she does, uh, and that's her way of trying to grow in the discipline of the word. You know, if, if you have uh, questions about the Bible or if you need accountability, study the Word with other people. Right? It doesn't have to have a pastor in it, but I think even studying it and reading it in community is something that we can do. Uh, there's this guy, um, and he started a group with like a bunch of Wall Street men, and I think they meet in the New York Times building. And I heard uh, at 7 a.m., these men before work, they'll gather together, they have a speaker, all they do is play the Bible, and they just listen to it, right? That's the easiest thing to do. There's no prep there before work. You just listen to the Bible, right? And by the way, he, uh, you know, he goes to Redeemer, and uh, he's, I think he's gone to Redeemer for many, many years, listening to one of the most gifted preachers in Tim Keller for many, many years. But you know what he said? He said, those times, like, for some reason, right, uh, I just didn't feel uh, connected through the sermons for a long period of time. Uh, but then when uh, I just started listening to the word, it just had this profound effect on me. I think God can do that, just listening to the word. You know, someone I know works at Goldman Sachs, uh, not from this church, but somebody I knew in the past, and you know what they do? Again, 7 a.m., whoever's a Christian at Goldman, uh, they meet in conference room, and they do Bible study with other coworkers. And uh, sometimes they invite pastors to lead it. So one time, uh, my friend, he asked me, he said, can you come and lead a Bible study at Goldman? And I was excited because that was my first time in, at Goldman. And I got to see, like, how things work in Goldman. I was like, oh, this is cool, right? <laughs> Goldman's a nice place. But, uh, you know, they do Bible study with their coworkers. I get we're busy, right? I get we don't have a lot of time. But there are ways, I think, around it. And we just need the desire. And sometimes we just got to be creative about it. Look. Now, by the way, let me also say this, just in case you're here and you're not a believer. You know, if you're exploring Christianity, I notice this too. One of the best ways to explore Christianity is just go to the source. Read the Bible for yourself. Go to a Bible study and ask questions. 
that's probably one of the best ways to really understand what the Christian faith is because, you know, the reality is if you judge it by people, so many of our uh, expressions of Christianity are, uh, you know, oftentimes like personal and cultural and uh, maybe it's, it's not the true reflection of, of what the Bible actually says. One of the best things you can do is go to a Bible study and just go to the source and see what the Bible says for yourself. And by the way, that's going to help uh, Christians to hear the questions and the challenges raised by those who aren't Christians, and it'll help Christians deepen their faith as well and really think deeper about what they believe. A couple, those are a, pract- a couple practical uh, things that I want to say that I don't, I, th- I don't think I typically do in my sermons, but uh, a couple ideas for you. Now, lastly, I want to end here. I want to look at the last part of the psalm. You know, I don't know when the psalm was written, but we do know that it's a psalm of David. So David wrote this psalm, and he is expressing a prayer where uh, that he would be restrained from, what does he say, presumptuous sins, that he would be blameless of great transgression. Then he has this prayer in the last verse. He says that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in God's sight. He's praying that. Now, here's the two things that strike me about that prayer as I, as I read this. First, uh, even though David offers this prayer, his life doesn't really reflect the truth of it, right? You know, David, he's famous for many things, but one of the things he's famous for is this transgression that he committed when uh, he saw Bathsheba bathing upon the roof, and, uh, you know, he committed adultery with her, but also in order to do that, he had her husband Uriah killed in war, in battle. That's a pretty big transgression, I would say, right? Second, when David prays the final verse, uh, he uses a word that is uh, used to convey this idea of sacrifice, according to commentators. So he's, when he says uh, acceptable, may it be acceptable to you, commentators are quick to point that that Hebrew word is usually associated with the idea of offering a sacrifice to God. And so David is saying this, my life, may it be offered to you as a pleasing sacrifice to you, my rock and my redeemer. Now here's the problem. We know David's life. Is his life offered as an acceptable sacrifice to God? No. Where his, did his actions reflect a life free from transgression? No, it didn't. His life fell short, just as your life falls short, just as my life falls short. And as much as we want this prayer to be true, it, it simply isn't true of us. But you know how it becomes true for us? that Jesus Christ himself offers the acceptable sacrifice on our behalf through his death upon the cross. Jesus would be the one that would allow us to pray this prayer in truth because it is not now our lives that are sacrificed, but it is his life that is sacrificed for us. And even when Jesus was crucified, you know the interesting thing is words of scripture literally came out of his mouth even upon his death. Even when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries that out. It's a lament in the Psalms. And Jesus, he would utter those words as he himself would be crushed for our sin. And because of that, this prayer is answered and true for us through Christ you know, Scripture is many things. It's poetry. It's law. It's history. But you know what it also is? It's a story about a creator God 
who would redeem fallen people, fallen humanity from sin through this great act of humiliation and sacrifice and love through the death of Jesus Christ on a cross. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of reconciliation. It's a story of new life that is promised and given to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you see, when we locate ourselves in that story, that's when it becomes good news to us. That's when it revives our soul. That's where it changes the way we see our lives, our circumstances, our situation, everything that we see. But we have to know the story, right? And therefore, we've got to read it. <laughs> we've got to study it, meditate upon it, hear it, receive it, listen to it. Because this story is life. Let's pray together.